Hello everyone, this is Anton Meshkov. I'm the host of United Citizens of Europe podcast and I'm broadcasting from Warsaw today. Uh, we will be interviewing Alonso de Lanes, who will introduce himself further into the episode and we will talk about sustainability, fashion and sustainability in all aspects of our lives. Hi. Hello, hello. So now we officially started. Um, so I will, again, I will start um, like from the very beginning. Uh, today, um, I will let uh, Alonso introduce himself, uh, but I will introduce the topic slightly. Uh, we're talking about uh, sustainability today uh, with Alonso, who is a huge expert in the topic. And um, the topic is in general very important because uh, the current president of the European Commission, um, she had uh, the Green Deal and ecology in general, the first point in her platform. So for Europe, it is a very hot topic. It's very interesting. And yeah, so Alonso, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, and um, can you please tell us what you are doing and how you're connected to all of this topic? Well, yeah, uh, well, first of all, thank you for the uh, for the invitation of your United Citizens of Europe, it's a good, a good uh, platform that I start uh, following because of, of, uh, of this invitation. And I, I go through, uh, through the website and uh, Twitter and all, and all your, uh, your media, and it's, it's a good project. And I congratulate you guys for this, uh, for this project. Um, well, I'm, uh, as you said, uh, while well, I'm working or researching different aspects of sustainability. I started back in Mexico, where, where I started doing a, like a postgraduate program in energy and sustainability. Then I continue my uh, formation or uh, yeah, my, my formation in, in Harvard in the same topics. And then here in Strasbourg, I made another master's degree in energy and sustainability in law. So that's what I'm, uh, what I do, I formal, I used to work in the Mexican Congress as the advisor for the Energy Commission. I work with an NGO in Mexico, uh, but I will tell you that later, uh, with um, native uh, Mexicans, uh, popula citizens, population in Southern Mexico. Uh, well, I do, I, do a lot of, I do a lot of things regarding sustainability. I worked uh, in 2015 in the COP, uh, 21 of the United Nations in the in the roundtables with different governments to uh, look for uh, different approaches to sustainability and how to tackle climate change in the world. Me representing Mexico and uh, well, it, of course, I mean many of you know that it's uh, now the result of that COP 21 is uh, the Accord de Paris, the Paris Agreement for Climate Change. So we work in that, um, and well, I'm very happy, very happy to be here with you sharing, uh, well, the, uh, the different approaches of sustainability in my research areas. Uh, I work with three different, very different between, uh, uh, I mean, they're very different, the three of them, and, but at the same time, they related through or with sustainability, you know, with sustainable development. So my three research areas are, of course, fashion, fashion sustainability, circularity, and water, and uh, cities. 
So uh, of course, these three three axes, which I which I research or what I'm passionate about, um, they they have they I mean they are all uh, linked with social justice, which is a topic that I like, and with sustainable development. So uh, that's what I do. That's what I work in. What I work. Uh, uh, as, as well as you know, uh, the people from the United Citizens of Europe know. Um, well, I, I work, well, I write in uh, journals, newspapers, and I have a podcast. And I'm ambassador here in France of Remake Our World, which is an NGO that promotes sustainable and ethical fashion uh, in the world. And, uh, well, I'm going to talk of that uh, later today. But uh, that's, in general, what yeah. I do and what that I was- what yeah, I mean, that was a huge introduction that you definitely deserved because, and you touched a lot of topics and I hope we will go deeper while we're all here. Uh, and yeah, you touch uh, sustainability in many different um, spheres and many different fields. And um, can you please say what is sustainability personally for you and what is the most important aspect of it uh, for you? Okay, well, uh, in short, Sustainability looks to protect our natural environment. So that's like the, the, the foundation of sustainability, you know, like protect our natural environment in order to preserve it for human uh, ecological and health matters issues. So that's sustainability. But I will give you the exact United Nations uh, definition that I just wrote here, that it's, it's official accepted through all stakeholders involved in sustainability. I mean, states, uh, NGOs, uh, companies. So uh, this definition uh, was made in 2005 by the United Nations uh, Commission for Climate Change and Environment. And it was the Brundtland Commission that uh, actually uh, made this definition, which is very simple. It's not a definition of sustainability per se, it's a definition of, of sustainable development. And it's described, it's described as the development, the development that meets the needs of the present, of, of, of uh, you and me and all the people today, without compromising the ability uh, of the future generations to meet their own needs. So uh, basically, in short, as I, as I told you, like, it's uh, take care of where are we living now. So in the future, uh, citizens and animals and everyone can stay and can stay, uh, can still uh, enjoy, you know, environment and the health and uh, nature that as we have uh, uh, nowadays. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a very extensive uh, and actually quite abstract um, definition. But do you think it's quite? Um, I personally find it very optimistic, because uh, at this point, I think it's very clear that uh, the least we can do now is to minimize uh, the amount, like the level of how we will compromise the future generations. Like that, we have already taken so much that it is impossible to replenish it uh, completely. So in a way, we already compromise the future generations. So like, what do you think about this? Like, how, how do you think that it is? Sustainable development, for example, has three pillars. 
uh, one of them is uh, economic growth. So you cannot have sustainable development without economic growth. So we need to understand that humans depends on economic growth to survive now. Maybe in a romantic way of thinking, in the past, we humans do not need, didn't need uh, economic growth, but nowadays it's mandatory. We need to uh, have economic growth to progress, to make uh, economical transactions, commercial transactions and stuff. So that's one of the three pillars of sustainable development. The other one is environment and the other one is social, social inclusion. So those three pillars are the, that, well, the pillars, the fundamentals of sustainable development. And uh, we, need to, we need to try to put these three pillars in our scale and to actually make regulations and policies to give to every pillar the amount of strength they need to sustain us, to sustain the world. So, of course, at this point, climate change is very anthropomorphic. Uh, you know, climate, climate change is something that will happen because it's the earth, the planet living. It's, it's something natural. But at this point, as you said, we already consume all of the natural resources that we have. And, 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 it's, uh, and it's dangerous and it's uh, kind of utopical to say, like, okay, we're going to preserve everything in order that the future generations will uh, take advantage of it. It's, it's kind of uh, imaginary, if, if, as you say, but, but the, the uh, goal or the aim of sustainable development is that exactly, to try to preserve it, the most for maintaining these three pillars, the economic growth, uh, social inclusion, and environment. Okay, that's, uh, that's interesting how we will try to do it. Uh, that's still a very challenging task. Uh, but talking about the social aspect, uh, so we've seen many initiatives actually growing in a grassroots manner, like um, Extinction Rebellion, Rebellion is going on all over the world. And also there's a, there was a water initiative uh, in the EU, which was actually um, developed into, into an actual directive. So do you think um, that it should be more of a grassroots movement or uh, should it be more state controlled, uh, like straight state controlled development? Okay, well, uh, actually this is a very interesting topic. I read an article two or three months ago for the University of Strasbourg. And it's, it's very important to, to emphasize that many of the regulations and policies that were implemented in the past few years are the result of social movements, okay? So if we take uh, the regulations, the policies, the law, the treaties, the, the directives of the, United, of the uh, European Union now, back then, like in the 70s or in the 80s, was completely, completely different. And how, how can, I mean, how we arrive until this point or which was the journey that we, what that we um, uh, took to be here now. Well, it all started with social movements. In the 80s, uh, or in the 70s actually, uh, people start to making these huge uh, uh, march, march is the uh, march, it's uh, in English the word. Uh, I think well, mar marches, yeah, everyone understands it, yeah. 
to protest about um, uh, different, I mean, I mean, they were asking for change, you know, like for change in environment, for change in, a, in, the, in the laws and policies of their countries. So uh, the first, the first uh, victories of these movements were the uh, protection of the ozone layer. You know, like back in the 90s, people were concerned about the hole in the ozone layer. Now it's climate change. But in the 90s, that was the worst concern, you know, like the, the hole in the ozone layer because of the pollution. Yeah, and actually we successfully, as a society, uh, won over it. Like, like it's, it's gone. We, we, we stop it. Why? Because we, we force the government to implement laws, policies, regulations to uh, keep that hole not get, uh, to not get the, that hole bigger. Right. And uh, and we made a, a huge system uh, in the world with the with the protocol de Montreal, uh, with the Montreal Protocol and, and other other different uh, regulations that start helping um, this climate or environmental friendly laws, regulations and policies. And we make labels for the products. I don't know if you if you can if you can have any spray now, it says like it doesn't. Uh, that uh, hazard of uh, compromise the ozone layer or something like that, you know? So at the end of the day, that was originated by social movements. Now, United Nations, I mean, European Union, for example, with the Green Deal, the Green Deal is something that, okay, it's, it's set up in the sustainable development goals, many of the, of the points of the Green Deal. The European Commission start a lot of, uh, working back to 2014, 2015, maybe for climate change. But the result of this Green Deal is the uh, conscious of the citizens of Europe and of the world pushing uh, the administration to make better and stronger policies and regulations for the environmental, for environmental protection. So you can see that uh, normally it's citizens that go to uh, different kind of outlets, social media, streets, uh, Congress, Greta Thunberg, you know, in the, in the, in the, she, she started in the parliament, like talking and giving speech. So that's how we citizens can push the government or the companies or the administration or uh, whatever to make something. So I do think that, um, citizens' uh, participate, uh, engagement is the key to actually make uh, new policies and regulations. For yeah, I would, I, would, uh, I would just summarize what you said. In my opinion, how I see it is that uh, there is a very active minority of people who are concerned about uh, the environmental problems, and they uh, express their concern via protests and marches and all of this and initiate different uh, processes like legal processes that lead to regulations and stuff like this. But also those legal processes, they influence uh, the mindset of a bigger population. And it kind of uh, vicious circle, but in a good way, it kind of just circles in a better and better, like in to more and more uh, minds of the people that it's important to take care of the environment. But also um, another connected question, like uh, I personally am concerned uh, that the problem of the sustainable development of, and environment uh, 
uh, it's very abstract. It's huge. Uh, there's this philosophical term called uh, hyper object. Nature is a hyper object. It's so difficult to put this in mind because we are so small and it's so big. And with yeah. the ozone layer, it was a great example because I remember every, uh, you know, every spray would have a sticker that it does not affect uh, the ozone layer. And it was a very particular problem, very particular. And the environment is just huge. Like, it's just unimaginably yeah, you huge. Have, you have uh, underground, you have, you have a lot of things to care about with the environment. You have uh, uh, animals, plants, water, air, uh, health. It's, it's, it's huge. I mean, environment and nature, it's... It's tremendously big, yeah. How do you think we can... Um, I don't know, break this into more certain tasks? Or how can we, how is it possible to face this huge uh, problem for an individual? How should individuals see it so that it is not frustrating? Because when you see a problem like this, you're like, oh my God, what can I do? I'm so small. Well, that, that depends. I mean, we can do a lot of things in our personal, uh, in our personal uh, way of living. You know, for example, me. When I go to shower, I put a, a song that I know it's five, six minutes normally. So if I uh, go more, go further with that, with another song, I start making everything quickly because I'm now that I'm spending a lot of water because I already uh, waste my five minutes of tolerance for me in order to not consume that amount of water. And uh, well, the different, different, different uh, ways of uh, moving your personal uh, carbon footprint to, uh, well, you know, I mean... Uh, to the minimum, yeah, basically. I'm trying to, to put the words on it, but in our personal level, we can do a lot of things that, of course, there's a small ant in this huge world, you know, like we are small ants, but if we all do good practices like those, at the end of the day, we are going to achieve something for the good of the planet. So recycling bottles, uh, not spending too much hours, minutes in the shower, um, eating uh, locally. You know, like there's, for example, European Union, the European Commission said a lot of uh, circular economies, uh, circular economy uh, goals and objective to be achieved in order to promote uh, the consumption in your in your country in your area in your region in your for example france here has a very interesting um way of approaching econo uh, circularity which is called a uh, uh, solidary solidary economy and uh so that that means that you go and buy local you know so uh it's, it's solidary because you buy for the local producers and uh, that minimizes your, your carbon footprint. Why? Because it, the logistic of transporting uh, food from one place to another, it's, it's uh, very polluting. Imagine an avocado growing in Mexico and eating in a, in a sushi in Japan. You know, so there's a huge, huge amount of, uh, of uh, pollution in the logistic uh, chain alone in that supply in the supply chain so there's a lot of things we can do in order to minimize our carbon footprint in our personal in our personal level so since you're in the professional uh, in this in this field uh, because I remember some years ago approximately two or three years ago there was this uh, 
critique towards uh, by local movement that you cannot solve a global problem by a local local initiative. Uh, you, uh, the best way to actually solve this problem is to influence a really huge producers like uh, huge yeah. factories, huge uh, huge brands. This is like the only way. And buying local is more like a hipster brand. So, what is the opinion on buying local now? Okay, I'm going. I'm going to to make two, two different precisions about that. Now, there's a huge a huge trend of going local. Why this is important? Because at the end of the day, if you consume local, everything is here. Circle growing growth is, you know, your your food is is being produced here. You are giving. You are taking the three pillars of sustainability: environment, social, and an economic growth. So by by going local, you actually activate the three pillars of sustainable development. So that's. I mean, for me, going local is very interesting. Why are the challenges of going of going local? Well, of course, globalization. Okay, because now you have uh, this shirt t-shirt that is uh, from Sara that is made in Bangladesh with cotton from India. So globalization is the, the most uh, dangerous enemy of going local. And one, I mean, 10 years ago, we were taught that modernization, being cosmop cosm cosmopolite, like being a cosmo was uh, mm -hmm. going bigger, you know, drinking champagne from France in Bali or being in uh, Madrid eating uh, Champignon de Paris, you know, like that's what we were taught. Like modernity was these huge buildings that modernity was uh, traveling with cheap flights from uh, Atlanta to uh, Marbella. You know, so yeah, there was there was even this trend. I remember, like, sorry for interrupting. It's just a small a small picture. There was a huge trend uh, among the very elite. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was a, a myth, but it sounds very realistic that uh, you would start party uh, partying in London or in Paris, and then as the night would come to an end, you would take a flight to New York and continue partying there. You would travel with the night. And then yeah. you would have like two nights of traveling joined together. The early but... 2005, 2004, like the Jet Terrors, Paris Hilton and stuff, they were doing that. And that's what we consume. We, like normal citizens, consume that on TV, on MTV, on, on, on all the networks. And we thought that was, that was modernity. You know, like the huge buildings in Dubai, that many of them are empty now because of the oil crisis, you know? So mm -hmm. this... You have these huge buildings consuming energy, consuming resources that are empty because we built this idea of modernity that didn't exist. There was a complete, a complete lie. And uh, you know, like nowadays to, to go sustainable is to maintain those three pillars that are, for me are the fundamentals and for many others. And that going local is exactly that. And, and for example, in fashion, uh, what we do, what we do in remake our world, for example, is to make uh, companies accountable of what they do. Here, yeah, social accountability. Yeah, social accountability. For example, here in France, there's, there's this uh, uh, devoir de vigilance, which means that uh, 
you need to make a due diligence of what are you selling and how are you producing it. European or French company that has their activities abroad. For example, uh, if uh, Louis Vuitton, for example, makes their purses in China, then they need to be accountable for what is going on in China. And that means for um, the, uh, the products they use and the people they hire and how they do it. And, uh, you know, like, but this devoir de vigilance here in France is a result of one work of the European Commission that actually uh, forced uh, companies to actually tell what are they doing. Because uh, at what point uh, companies were doing whatever they want, you know, like United States and Mexico, you know, like everybody knows that Mexico is United States backyard and that United States companies go to Mexico and pollute there because it's cheaper and they don't care and Mexican regulations are soft. So uh, what, what do United Nations, what do United States do? Sorry, they go to Mexico, they put their companies there and they pollute it. Same thing with, uh, for example, uh, France has a very big problem with tech, tech uh, trash. Tech, for example, uh, all phones use computers, use printers, whatever. They take the the products and they put it in Africa. So yeah, oh, I mean, like the this huge uh, pile of trash that exists there on the continent. Exactly. So yeah, they they uh, at the end of the day. They recycle here in France, but all the things are going to other places, not in France to pollute there, you know, in Asia or in Africa. So uh, that's why this uh, directive was created to actually force the companies to make a due diligence into being accountable for what they are doing and how they are doing it. Uh, okay. Then another question coming from there. Uh, when you also were talking about the shower, uh, I don't know, maybe you watched it. There is a scene uh, in the uh, Blade Runner, uh, Blade Runner 2055, the new one, the latest one, where the main character takes a shower and it's more like a sand and it lasts for like three seconds. And this is the limited shower. So it's not the song that, and it's not your conscience that controls it. It's that's it, like you have a limitation. Government controls how much shower you take. That's it. Uh, so how far do you think uh, it is possible to go with the government regulations? Because there's certainly limits. And the COVID-19 actually showed that we cannot even make people wear masks for their own protection. Like this and... Very, and, very interesting question, very hard question. And because... yeah, and, and just, and this is mask. Like this is something very... Uh, of course, it's invisible, but it's something very specific and it's very obvious. Like you see people being sick and here this problem is, again, very abstract. So how far do you think it can be? That's a very, very interesting question because here in France, in the municipal, municipal elections, the Green Party won a lot of uh, village in towns and cities. So you can have like the perspective that French citizens are more aware of climate change, more aware of sustainability and more aware of the environment. And they do want to preserve it for the future generations. But now uh, the extreme right is going green too. 
in France, in Germany, and different countries. Why is that? Because many of the consume local kind of policies go very or are very close to uh, the extreme right principles of sovereignty. So mm -hmm. the problem now that we are facing is that if these extreme right uh, politicians start winning seats with this new green sustainable set of mind, they will enforce the um, the uh, regulations into a point that there will be no uh, democracy or human rights kind of. For example, what I, one of my colleagues in the university, she wrote a paper about the green dictatorship, which means that, uh, for example, he support that. He supports okay. the, support the government to uh, minimize our civil rights in order to preserve the environment. So... Do you think is it, is it, is it coming or is it just uh, an idea to enjoy? Because it sounds very anti-utopian. That's, uh, that's the interesting thing. Because at the moment when I read this paper in February or in March, that was utopical. You know, like some people were starting to talk about that. But now you can see that neo-Nazis, for example, in Germany, are going green. <laughs> that we could have possibly thought we would be here, right? <laughs> all of these characters are going green. So now it's not very utopical. It's something that can actually happen. And that's wor that, that worries me because, you know, for example, I am... In, so, in well, I'm not completely ecological in all of my way of living, but I try to do the best. And I research this topic because I'm concerned and I'm engaged with this topic because I'm concerned. But I will never limitate civil rights in order to preserve the environment. Okay, then let's, let's, uh, let's hope that it's gonna be more like a... Uh, corporate social responsibility is optional, is not mandatory. Even though European Union has directives, is they are not forcing most of the corporate social responsibilities uh, uh, principles. You know, like they make recommendations and the directives are more into preserve environment. For example, yeah, the directive for textiles, for the use of chemicals in textiles, for leather, for uh, different uh, kind of products. So that's, it's mandatory because it's a way of preserve environment. But if you say that uh, you need to make a circularity uh, strategies, well, that's not mandatory, it's optional. It's, some, it's a recommendation. So taking that in mind, I think that uh, if we are not forced to do something we can ha we still have i mean we still have the choice of recycling right you can you can make your recycle in your house or you can't or you can't right so if you have a bottle you can decide to go and, and put them in the recycle bin or putting in the regular trash but it's a it's a matter of you of choice maybe there are some things that will become mandatory 
and and for example, the water thing it's, it's a very complicated issue because there's no water anymore. Water is a finite source. We need the environment to create more water because there's a cycle of water. So water cannot be produced quickly. And now there's no water and there's an increase in population and there's a lot of people living in cities that are isolated from water sources. So can I see a world in 10 or 20 years with strict water regulations? I do. About water. Yeah, about, that is uh, that is possible. But water, it's, it's a huge issue and people are not taking into account that water issues will be huge. I mean, huge. There's no more water. I mean, if yeah, it's 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 a it's a finite it's a finite uh, resource. Yeah, if it's uh... water now. Imagine in 20 years, the population keeps growing. Maybe not in Europe, but certainly in Asia, in Africa, in Latin America. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's keep uh, optimistic that uh, grassroots movements and uh, doing small things uh, will help. And I see I see lots of uh, people asking about fashion, so maybe we can. Move a little bit towards it because people are really, really into it. Yeah. So yeah, uh, actually the question uh, by Ingrid, uh, I will start with this. Uh, it's very interesting. So uh, there's a lot of, um, from what you said also, I can make an impression that uh, going full green is not the cheapest way to live right now. Going green is not the cheapest way. That's... So in terms in terms of fashion and you as a person who is involved into a sustainable fashion project, can you say is it is it possible to go green in the near future uh, in terms of in terms of fashion and at the same time not uh, live on the street? <laughs> I will I will give you the uh, exact definition that uh, my colleagues Ruby Beridiano and Ajesha Barnblad from Remake made and that it's available in the sustainable fashion glossary in the remake or world uh, website and let me tell you what is what is sustainable fashion according to to my colleagues it's eco-friendly practices in the fashion industry which eco-friendly practices is very very huge referring the approach of designing producing and consuming these are the three most important things in sustainable fashion design production and, consum and consumption, okay? And then I will go back to explain why it's important to be sustainable since the design of clothes. That respect the planet by causing little to not damage and therefore sustaining the, the environment. Okay, so this is the, the uh, sustainable fashion definition that is provided by Remake. And as you can see, we have three, three uh, three different approaches of sustainable fashion, which is, which is designing, produ producing, and consuming. So now, because of COVID, uh, let's, let's, fashion sustainability is a huge topic, but let, let me try to summarize this uh, very quickly. So we come from a generation that has a fashion every two weeks. You know, fast fashion companies fast fashion, yeah. are making clothes for us every two weeks. 
And uh, that's for fashion, for fast fashion. Luxury fashion or high fashion makes six collections minimum per year. Spring, summer, autumn, winter, but for girls, for guys, and then haute couture. So they, they make ready to wear and uh, haute couture. So suddenly we have a lot of collections in a year. Is that sustainable? Probably is that, not. Is that, <laughs> a, is that sustainable design? Well, of course not. So the problem here is that uh, since the conception of the, pro of, the, of the garments, we're not being sustainable in this magical conception. If we go further to, the, to that conception and then the production, are our clothes sustainable? I mean, are we using real sustainable products to make the garments? Well, the answer of many of, of the brands is no, right? And then the consuming, the consumption problem. Fast fashion exists because we consume fast fashion. You know, we go to Sara, to H&M, to CNA, to Primark every day or every week. I mean, people go to those stores once in a week, probably. So it's huge. Yeah, yeah, it's huge. Yeah, and I think uh, I think it's a it's a very important topic here because uh, uh, it's a, of course it sounds very pessimistic, but in one way you can see it as an optimistic news because. Uh, yes, it's very unsustainable at the moment, and it's uh, it's uh, sustainable in ecological fashion is very expensive, of course. But uh, you can make it sustainable by buying less. Like it's your part. Your role is there too. Like it's not just the brands that should do the job. It's exactly. also you, the, consum the, the consumer. Exactly. The problem. The problem with fashion is that we consume a lot. That's the problem. I mean, fast fashion will never exist if we do not consume that much. Yeah, and it's a uh, uh, fast. Yeah, I mean, it's it's consumption uh, consumption practice or yeah, it's it's yeah. Uh, so, there's a we discussed this uh, book with you previously. It's uh, the how everything will collapse and. Uh, uh, it's a thrilling book, uh, very depressive. Uh, one depressive episode is guaranteed to everyone who reads this book. Uh, it's it's very sad. But uh, the main point of this book is that no matter how much we want it or not, uh, we will have to sacrifice our habits, including our consumption habits, in the future or even in the present. So unfortunately, it's not about how we should buy uh, the sustainable clothes. It's about how we should not buy clothes at all. Like it's about how we should uh, recycle or um, how does it so? Uh, what are the three postulates? Reduce, 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 reuse, and recycle. Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, uh, with COVID crisis, fashion industry was in crisis. Why? Because suddenly you are in lockdown and you have different collections to be uh, advertised and nobody is buying. So we had this overproduction of items and garments that were already advertised by the designers 
and the brands and nobody was buying because why should I buy something if I'm in a lockdown for three months? So spring, summer season for many designers. It just didn't happen. So uh, can we say that uh, sustainable fashion is just no fashion? <laughs> sustainable fashion is, uh, we cannot live with passion. You know, like it's part of the human culture. We love art and fashion is a form of art. So we, we like to be represented with something. And many of us find clothing and garments part of this, uh, uh, of our personality. So um, saying sustainable fashion is no fashion, it's a huge, it's a big statement that I will not, will not agree. What we, what we need to do is to start, as a consumer, start asking the questions. Where was this made? For example, I'm wearing this, this T-shirt that is from the Sara uh, Sustainable Collection, Join Life, and it's made of organic cotton completely. So I bought different pieces from the uh, from the Sara uh, Join Life Collection to actually stu study, study the pieces. And I, I wanted to see like the labels, you know, like, because sometimes you have a product that is, that is advertised, that it's green, it's sustainable, it's recycled, but then only a small percentage of the garment is recycled or is sustainable. So what I did was buy the collection Young Life for spring season, well, spring season from Zara. And then I start checking all the clothes this, for example, is 100% organic cotton. Is organic cotton sustainable? No, because it, it uses a lot of water. So going to organic cotton is not solution. But then other pieces from that collection were, were advertised at the Joint Life, at the Joint Life collection of Sada for sustainability. And then only 5% of the garment was recycled or was sustainable. 5% of the garment that's not very much that's, <laughs> to say the least that's that's greenwashing greenwashing for the newbies is advertising something as sustainable that is not real so sarah is making greenwashing with the, its campaign of joint life it is 100 percent. i can confirm that because the label says joint life sustainable collection and then you go inside the garment you see the uh, the ingredients, you know, the products that were uh, used to make the garment, and then you can see that there's only five percent of organic cotton or ten percent of recycled polyester. So yeah, so there is something organic, but it's just not a huge percent percentage. Exactly. But uh, also, I don't know. There are of course different brands that are doing huge things. For example, Stella McCartney, which is a high fashion uh, designer, she's going completely sustainable. This means she's, she's not uh, designing with leather anymore. She's going for uh, uh, organic leather made with natural products. She's making recycle. She's making a clothes with recycled polyester. She's doing, you know, she's doing a lot of things. She's not only sustainable, she's circular. Uh, but for example, H&M, it's another example of going green, but at the same time making 
the consumers to buy more. Why is this? Because yes, of course, they garments now are sustainable and circular because they are recycling a lot. Because they are buying the garments from uh, used garments from uh, from the clients or the consumers, and they are they are recycling that. But the problem is that when you go to the to the to the H and M store, you get a discount of twenty percent, fifteen percent in a new in a new uh, uh, if you buy more clothes. Yeah. You go, so it's you go to H&M to, to get rid of your clothes and then you get a, a coupon to actually buy more. So yeah. that, is that sustainable? Is that ethical? You know, I mean... Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, there's, there's a second bottom to everything. Uh, but uh, what about like if we, if we stop uh, producing and we just uh, recycle by going to three, three stores, will it help or will it be just... Yeah, exactly. For example, Galerie Lafayette, which is a high luxury store, they have a lot of different brands, but it's recognized in France but for selling uh, luxury items. If you go now to their to their uh, website, they have Mot Responsable, which is responsible fashion. And then you go there and you can see actual uh, brands that are making vegan garments, uh, circular, recycle, uh, organic so you can find all of these uh brands that are offering good products sustainable products if you go to uh tomorrow in remake no thursday tomorrow is thursday right tomorrow we are la launching in remake a new web page that i will share with you because now i can but tomorrow i will share with you so you can publish in the united states and europe that will uh give you a list in a rank of, like an index of brands that are engaging with sustainability in huge processes and that we are actually talking with them to minimize the carbon footprint and to assure that they are ethical by hiring workers abroad workers abroad because you know like it's, it's not a secret that many brands have modern slaves working in bangladesh working in mexico working in guatemala working in in Thailand, you know, like in Indonesia, it's not a secret that there is uh, yeah. modern slavery working for the big, big, big companies of fashion. So what we are doing in Remake is to start popping up questions and then making an index about which brands are actually committing to sustainable goals and that are making ethical trade. Okay, yeah, so yeah, I will share for sure this uh, this page if you uh, if you share it with me um okay. i think uh unfortunately we have to wrap it up okay. uh, and yeah it's uh it's coming to an end especially uh, the time i mean uh but also um i wanted to mention that you are as well involved into uh, a fashion project which is uh Yes. leaning towards the sustainable design yeah can you quickly recap and then maybe i will share it later on the um on the page of the united citizens of europe yeah, for more thank details you. thank you well uh me with, with my with my ngo uh which is, is, is uh, called coatl which means snake in nahuatl which is one of the uh, languages in southern mexico for native uh population uh and a French designer that is named Tarek, uh, well, it's French, it's 
Tarekeserti, we created the collection 100% organic. What we're doing is working in the south of Mexico with organic silk. What is organic silk? It's silk produced by the locals in a 100% circular project. What is this? They uh, harvest the silk with the trees, with the worms. They make the, the colors for, uh, for the garments are 100% made of natural uh, pigments and they create garments respecting their traditions. You know, like they make garments with their own traditions. So what we are doing is uh, uh, creating a collection that is 100% uh, circular and sustainable, empowering women from communities, preserving millinery traditions of way of producing garments, uh, making food for them and for the field worms, preserving water, the ecosystem, and of course, uh, economic growth for the, uh, for, the, uh, for, uh, for the town. So we are working in Oaxaca in the, in the mountains there, and it's a beautiful project that is sponsored by Vogue. And uh, well. Yeah, as long as, as long as there are people who are guiding the communities and as long as there are projects like that, I have, I have high hopes for the future, even in, in a weird times like that. Um, yeah, thank you so much for the live stream. It was a pleasure and very, very uh, interesting one. No, thank you. And if you want me to answer the questions, you can send me the questions and I can uh, share with you some uh, images answering the question so that you can post it yeah sure yeah we will uh, we will do it yeah yeah yep. sure so thank you so much and uh yeah, thank you yeah yeah have a good have a good evening and thanks everyone for listening to this live stream have a good day thank you everyone Thank you everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed our episode. Um, make sure you follow us, you rate us five stars on Apple Podcast. And make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our Twitter. You can find us as United Citizens of Europe. See you next week.